You're listening to a Dwell Community Church production. If you'd like to check out more resources, visit dwellcc.org. So we're in 1 Thessalonians. We're going to continue in chapter 4. I think it's helpful to kind of zoom out a little bit and look at the overall picture of what it is that the author Paul is doing here. In chapters 1 through 3, you could really break up this book and say, this is, chapters 1 through 3 are about the centrality of love. Just his love for them, their love for each other, God's love for us, uh, that we're inward facing, we're outward facing, that you know, we're trying to build a community of people that are really real with each other, that are really close to each other, uh, but that is also very inviting to those who are on the outside. And so really chapters one through three are all about love. And then four and five, where we are now, is sort of getting real practical about how to live. What does it look like to live a loving life? And so one of the big things that drives a lot of our lives is sex. So we talked about God's view of sexuality and how that differs so greatly from our culture. And then what Paul does is he gets into this issue of work. What do we do for a career? What is our purpose? What is our drive? How do we think about work? And how does what God has to say about work differ from what the world system says? And one of the things that you find if you study the Bible is there's actually quite a lot in it, the Bible, about how we're made. One of the the things that has convinced me as a Bible-believing Christian more than anything else has been the way that the Bible accurately describes human nature. And what I mean by that is things like we were created to be in harmony with God and in harmony with each other. We're created in the image of God and we have all this potential. And I look at myself or I look at other people and I see that there's there's a lot of things that are unique and beautiful and, and amazing about human beings. And then the teaching of how we've fallen from God's purpose for us, we become twisted and broken. I see that within myself and I see that within others as well. And so the idea here is that God is the all-powerful creator of the universe, has something to say to us about how we're created and has a deeper wisdom about how we should live our lives because of the way that he made us. You're literally getting the instruction manual for the human body and the human soul with God explaining to you why it is the way that we are and what it was intended and how he made us. And working hard and being productive, according to the Bible, are a crucial part of healthy living that when we spend too much time being idle, that we kind of fall apart emotionally, physically. We atrophy relationally. And I think that's one of the big concerns that we all have with what we've been through in the last year is, you know, what's it going to be like when we try to connect more with people or we're all going to be weird. We've become weird. And the Bible says it's not good for man to be alone. And that we were created for the purpose of relating to one another, relating to God, and also to be stewards of his creation. That we're supposed to take care of the planet and that there's a lot of good work, but hard work that's to be engaged in doing that. Ecclesiastes has some great things on laziness. 
In 5.12 it says, The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Proverbs 21.25 says, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work all day long. He is craving while the righteous gives and does not hold back. I hope you can see what it is that I'm talking about when we read little pithy pieces of wisdom like this. We see that there's something very true about this that all of us have had experiences and knowing that like when we're lazy and we're laid back and we're just comfort seeking, that makes us crave. It makes us feel empty. We think being lazy will make us happy, but then when we actually are lazy, our lives start falling apart. And that's because of the way that we're made. God designed us to live productive lives. He wants good things for us. And part of living a good life and being happy is being worn out by activity and by the things that are before us by being productive. Now, the world, what the Bible calls the cosmos, is sort of the system apart from God. It's just sort of the way that things are, that the the human race threw off God's leadership. We went our own way, and the world system is the result of that. And the world's view of work is that work is about making money. It's a necessary evil. It's something you do in order to get the stuff that you want Uh, The more money you have, the more freedom you have, uh, the more comfort, the more uh, you can have, be surrounded with the things that you want. You can reward yourself with expensive toys. That used to be the big saying, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. And that's sort of the world system in a nutshell, that this is something where we're told that this is what we should go for, that we should chase after And just do whatever we have to do to get as much as possible. And the more that we get, the more content we'll feel, the more powerful we'll be, the more happy we will be, the better our relationships will be. Advertisers use this kind of thing all the time. You need a really fancy, nice car, and that will make your life better. You need to work, 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 make and accumulate lots of money, and then spend the rest, the last 20, 30 years of your life on a golf course or sailing a ship around the world, and then you'll be happy. All of us have been exposed to this on a daily basis since the day that we were born. And even as I'm saying it, I'm sitting here thinking, it seems like that could be true. Are you saying, why wouldn't that be true? Is the whole world wrong on this point? That we should just work hard, retire as, e- as early as possible, and have as much freedom to do, as much leisure as we want to do. This thinking of the world system really leads to an improper prioritization of career. People throw away their marriages. They throw away their opportunities to raise children. They throw away their friendships. Because they believe in this world view that work and the accumulation of wealth and stuff is the way to live your life. They believe that'll make them happy. 
But it, what it really leads to is burnout, broken relationships. Why is our culture so fragmented? Why are marriages falling apart? Why are there so few children who feel close and loved and cared for by their parents? Why are we so obsessed with things? It's because we have the wrong ideology and the wrong concept of work. God's view of work is very different from the world systems. God says work is a blessing. It's something you were made to do. It's something that is enjoyable. It's something that is not easy. It's difficult, but it's enjoyable. That's something that the world system doesn't seem to put together very well either. That something could be hard. It could even be painful, but it can be good. God's view of work is that it is an opportunity to be a contributor to the community, that you can consider the needs of others as more important than yourself. That, yes, we are individuals, but as individuals, we make up something that is much bigger than ourselves and much bigger than the sum of our parts. That as a community, we can do things to help others. And the more capable you are, the more gifted you are, the more that you can bring to the table, the more people you can help. And that there's, there's a great sense of personal satisfaction that comes from building others up. That we can use those God-given abilities. God did not give us our gifts. He didn't give us our characteristics, our abilities, so that we could build a kingdom of worshipers for ourselves, he gave us those things for the purpose of giving them away to others. That that is actually what creates fulfillment in us is to give to others, to bear the burdens of others makes us complete and makes us whole. And it's a way to bring glory to God and to show people how amazing he is, because if everybody else is living for self, and the people who are following God are genuinely interested in connecting with and serving and helping those who have less than they do, it makes God stand out in an incredible way. God's view of work leads to being able to enjoy even menial tasks. You know, there's a lot of work that I think a lot of us would point to and say, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. You know, that would be mind-numbing. That would be boring. That would be beneath me. But when you have a mentality of what I'm doing and you understand how what you're doing can contribute to the larger picture and that what you're doing is in service to God as opposed to a paycheck, you'd be surprised what kinds of things actually can become enjoyable. When you understand that your role primarily is not in your career, but in your role as an ambassador for God, as someone who's standing to fight in the middle of all this chaos, all this darkness, and all this selfishness that makes up the world, and that your job, your career, is an opportunity to go out into the darkness with a bright, shining light. It becomes much less important what you do, and much more important as to why you're doing it. Having God's perspective on our role, the way we were made, 
the opportunities that we have to serve and connect and build others up and help those who are suffering leads to the ability to love what you do regardless of what you do. To really have a sense of understanding your part in the larger picture. So Paul writes to them in 1 Thess 4, verse 9. He says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write with you. You guys are lovers of one another. You have an awesome community. You have an awesome connection to one another. I don't need to tell you about that. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. You are getting this. You are understanding this. You are serving each other. You are standing out from the selfishness of your culture. Lives are being changed and you are hearing from God on this. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brothers who are in all of Macedonia. You do not discriminate by race. You do not discriminate by gender. You do not discriminate by socioeconomic status. You are being kind and invested and genuine with everybody. And it's a sweet thing to behold. The love of the community is one of the things that Paul points back to again and again and again about the excellent job they're doing in Thessalonica. But we urge you, brothers, to excel still more. You guys are doing great. You're doing awesome, but you can always do better. And when it comes to this, that is the constant struggle is to be more generous, more kind, more invested, more helpful to others. To excel still more and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands, just as we commanded you, so that you'll behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. That's an interesting way of phrasing that. We should pop the hood on that a little bit. Love towards others, but also contributing, uh, being a contributing member of society. What he's saying is, is, as you connect with others and as you go out and do this, you will be built up as you connect with others. And make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend your own business and work with your hands. Now that sounds kind of boring to me. I look at that and I'm like, Ugh quiet life. Like, I like to have some adventure. I like there to be some risk. I like to have a little excitement. You know, is this, we're just supposed to be these, you know, little house on the prairie people, you know, who just live this very simple existence. You know, I, I wrestle with a verse like that when I read it. And then, you know, what does Paul mean? Did Paul lead a quiet life? That's an interesting question, isn't it? Paul's life was about shipwrecks, imprisonments, thousands coming to Christ. But he had in the midst of all this turmoil, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was snake bit, he was poisoned, <coughs> he was stoned. Not in a good way. <laughs> and he says, live a quiet life. I think the quiet life here is, is an internal stability is what he's talking about. The stability that comes with knowing you're doing what it is that you're supposed to do. The stability that comes with knowing that you're investing in something that matters. You're investing with eternity in mind. And that you are loved by God and he is in your corner. 
the emotional stability, peace, and self-discipline that comes along with understanding your place in the world and understanding your part in God's plan. It doesn't mean a boring life. It doesn't mean some kind of subdued, milky uh, quietness in in that sense. What it means is stable and consistent and unshakable. That's what God wants for us. And that can look so many different ways because God has created all of us with different abilities and different, different proclivities, different attributes. And so a quiet life for one person might not look like a quiet life for another person, but they would all have the common denominator of that peace and that assurance and that confidence that comes from a personal relationship with God. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. So this isn't about living a vanilla, boring life, but it's about being a contributor and not being a burden on others. That's a vision that is actually quite unusual that we would give more than we take in the way that we live. You see, there was an issue in Thessalonica. They were great. They had all kinds of great things going on. They were spiritual. But when you get communities of people together who are really into giving, what do they attract? People who are really into taking. And that's okay. Because God has a way of taking people who love to take and turning them into people who love to give. So they have this awesome community. People are working hard and they're sacrificing and they're generous and they're feeding each other and they're clothing each other and they're working hard and they're sharing their lives and people are coming in and they're taking advantage of that. And Paul has something to say to that in 2 Thessalonians 3.11, the second letter that he wrote after this one to this church. He says, For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. That, you know, they have the appearance of being active, but in the reality, they're not accomplishing doing anything. They're not accomplishing anything. They're not doing anything, and they're not contributing anything. And there's a very specific kind of person that Paul is pointing to here that I think is important. He says, now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in quiet fashion and eat their own bread. Do not come in and just be a taker, but be a contributor. And the focus here really is not about unemployment. That's a whole nother issue. It's not people who can't work. It's people who won't work. And it's important that we make a distinction between those two things. We're called to bear one another's burdens and to care for the poor, especially. God's heart for the poor is clear. And the command to serve those who cannot feed themselves is a big part of what it is to live your life for God in this world. But someone who comes in sees an opportunity, has every ability to contribute, and decides to be a taker, it's for their own benefit that we're called to call those people out. 
The word here in the Greek is ataktos, which really means undisciplined and unruly. That these are people that are in it for self and they should know better. That they're living an unruly life. People who are maybe doing the bare minimum to get by without concern for others. I don't know if you've ever had this experience or been a person like this. I definitely was. When I was in college, I had a lot of, uh, I, would, I would, you know, go to school full time and then work 10, 15 hours a week. And that was good. That was a good life with, you know, community and ministry and all the other things that we had going on. I was able to pay my rent and eat a lot of ramen noodles and, you know, uh, live. But uh, every year, Christmas break would roll around. And it would be like two or even three weeks. And I would take off work and there would be no school and it would be video games and movies and it would be staying up till four o'clock in the morning and sleeping till noon the next day, which was awesome. I loved that for two or three days. (laughs) And then I would start to atrophy. I would just start to get sad depressed, more selfish, more cranky. And I would watch this, I watched this pattern. I had four years of college to watch this pattern. And it took me several years to catch on. And I was also seeing it in other roommates who were doing the same thing. Or in some cases, you would have someone living in the house and their parents would be paying their rent for them and they'd take the quarter off school and they wouldn't really be working and they'd be doing that for, for 10 weeks. And they would show up and they would be bedraggled and, you know, haven't showered in days and they haven't done their laundry. And, you know, it would just be like, I'm depressed. And it'd be like, maybe, maybe you're depressed. Maybe you need a job. Maybe what's going on here is not some kind of deep emotional pattern, but that you are destroying the part of you that God made to be a productive member of society. And I don't mean to make light of mental health issues. There are people who literally go through depression who are trying hard and they get into a rut and they need help. But one of the things we learned when we were working with college students was when someone shows up and they haven't been doing anything, any kind of work or any kind of contributing for weeks on end and they say, I'm depressed, we would say, how about you get a job, you get a schedule, you start working out and you start being productive with your life, do that for a week, and then if you're still depressed, come back and we'll get you some counseling. Because we are truly designed and built where we begin to fall apart if we're not contributing. It clouds your thinking. And some people live like this for years. They kind of do the bare minimum. And the thing that is, is that people that are lazy, disengaged, disconnected, and living selfishly like this, is they think they're busy because they interpret the burden that they feel for the way that they're living as something is wrong and they're tired when what they're not doing is fulfilling the purpose for which they were created. It's a a cycle that you see over and over and over again in people's lives. Too much time on your hands leads to gossip, melodrama, neediness, and catastrophizing everything in your life. 
You will go out and start searching for drama. I think a big part of what's happening in our culture right now is we have too much time on our hands and we're catastrophizing everything because we're bored. He says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend your own business and work with your hands just as we commanded you. That's interesting. Is he saying that manual labor is the only labor that's good? I mean, Paul was a tent maker by trade, but he was a knowledge worker in much of his life. He had been a Pharisee, a teacher, a lawyer. And it's interesting, too, because in our culture today, there's been sort of this move away from the trades, and there's a a lot of tremendous opportunity out there for people that want to work with their hands. And I, I find personally, if you talk to a lot of our pastors, if you talk to uh, Dennis or Gary or me or Conrad, all of us have hobbies that are real concrete, weird things. Like gardening or hunting for mushrooms or uh, working on cars. And I think the reason for that is, is I think when you're in a work like this that's relational, it gets very difficult, it gets very gray about when the work is finished. When is someone fixed? How do you judge that? So you get involved in that work, and it's great work. It's wonderful work, you know, the work of of theologians and pastors or teachers. But what you begin to seek out in your private life is stuff that's real black and white. A motor either runs or it doesn't run. And the satisfaction of taking out some spark plugs or taking a carburetor apart, cleaning it out, putting it all back together and having it work is an immediate reward that you have done it the right way. So I think what Paul is talking about here is he's not saying knowledge work is bad or that you know manual labor is the only thing that's good, but he's saying there is something fruitful and rewarding about manual labor. And manual labor in the Greek world was even more sort of poo-pooed on than it is in our culture today. Cicero, a famous uh, Greek, wrote, any occupation entailing labor for wages or the work of craftsmen is only for the vulgar. Wages, according to Cicero, are a mark of servitude and a a workshop by its very nature cannot be a gentlemanly atmosphere. Well, if you've ever been to a mechanic shop, you kind of understand what he's talking about. (laughs) But that was the attitude of the Thessalonican people Their culture had this view of work. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, this is not true. Working hard is is what's important. And the kind of work that you do is less important. There were people in this church that were refusing to work. They were unemployed because they felt like they were above the types of work that were available. And what Paul is doing here is saying, it's better to do anything rather than nothing. Don't be a drain on other people. He says, do this so that you will behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. You know, the old adage that idle hands are the devil's work, devil's play place. That's not a scripture, but it's a very scripturally engaged idea because of things like this. He's saying, do something rather than nothing and that will help you live a better life. If you have too much time on your hands, too much freedom, 
you will find things to do that will debase yourself and lower yourself as a moral being. Work is not only good, but it's a proactive way to avoid getting yourself into all kinds of trouble. I think it's important here to recognize too that there's a lot of different types of work. We're talking about the importance of being productive and living a productive life. Sometimes stay-at-home moms hear a teaching like this and they just feel like, I'm not respected, I'm not valued. And let me just say, that is some work that I want no part of. I've got two kids, they're older now, but I remember coming home from work every day and my wife being frazzled and just sort of like dealing with toddlers and being like, can you just take them for 15 minutes? And me being like, 15 minutes? I just worked all day. And she was like, I've been doing this all day. That's awesome work. That is incredibly productive. You are contributing to society by connecting with and and running a household and making kids' lives safe and secure and helping to educate them. That is beautiful work. That is the kind of work Paul is talking about here. Not anything to be uh, ashamed of or disgraced by. People who can't find a job anywhere, that's not what's being talked about here. He's talking about people who can work and won't work because the job is too beneath them or because uh, they have all these excuses about all these different reasons about why they can't do what's available. They have to hold out for the right thing. And what Paul is saying is, is that you are destroying yourself, you're degrading your community, and you're dishonoring your God by being a lazy person. Of course, people with disabilities would not be included here. This is for people who can work. And you might have been injured and you might have to take time off. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong about having to take time to heal. But don't take advantage of that either. There's a balance that happens there between being productive and needing rest so that you can be more productive. I think retirement is another great example. You can retire at whatever age and live a very productive, active life. And I don't mean physically active on the golf course. I mean meaningfully active in the lives of other people. If you're underemployed, I think what Paul would say is get a job. And if it's not the job you want, get a job. Get moving. Get active. Take a class. If you're retired, if you're disabled, volunteer in the community. Help kids read at school. Volunteer at a senior center. Mentor inner city youth. There's all kinds of ways that you can engage yourself to be a productive member of society. And the result of that is a healthy life filled with relationships and meaning and purpose. If you're unsatisfied with your work, maybe that's something you need to pray about, you need to think about and consider. I highly recommend finding work that you love. It's worth going with for a lower paycheck and a, and a lower status position if it's something that excites you and engages you and engages the way that God made you. 
Do work that contributes to society, that expresses your gifts and abilities. Or if you can't do that, find a way to love what you do. A lot of people feel stuck because they're not able to do what they would really like to do, but there's opportunity right in front of them to build relationships and to connect with people. Don't make your identity your work. Make your identity Jesus Christ. And you will find that you are able to find meaning and purpose and joy in all kinds of different careers. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Do everything in your life, especially your work, with the mindset and the understanding of how God's larger plan for your life and the human race fits into that. And you will not want for satisfaction. Why don't I just pray for us and then we'll go out and be cold. (laughs) God, uh, this is such a big area. To talk about sex last week and and career and, and work this week, it's just awesome to see that you have so much to say that is pertinent to our lives and the things that really drive us and the the things that really make up who we are. Thank you that your word is so practical and so engaging. Thank you from the lives that you saved so many of us from where we wouldn't have answers to questions like this. There's so many people in our culture that are sad, they're depressed, they're disengaged, and they don't even know why. And we just ask God that we will be able to share you, share the wisdom that you've given us and help others come to know you as we have known you. Amen. Thanks for listening. This has been a Dwell Community Church production.